Welcome back to the third podcast. So as per last as per the last episode, where we discussed refusal and how refusal can be employed to decolonial futures. Uh, this week we're gonna talk about how an intersectional and collective framework of care uh, works in tandem with all multiplicities. So part of this third offering and fourth offering within this episode, this project will go deeper and examine decolonial futures through an intersectional lens of healing. And this is this is important because it's not it's not only enough to imagine decolonial features as singular, but to view future, but to view healing in tandem with all multiplicities. And this is stated in when we examine Just Karen Dillon's article on when Standing Rock teaches us about environmental justice, when uh, Dillon states focusing on colonial gender violence, Leanne Simpson reminds us the ties between the seizure of land, gender violence, and extractive policy processes that accompany capitalist colonialism. And here it's important because here we see that all factions and issues related to environmental damage and uh, damage to indigenous communities require a cohesive and intersectional framing. As as such, this third offering implores a queer futurity in relation to the Keystone Pipeline in in which we subvert, but also queer normative knowledges. And this is noted in Sarah Hunt's article and Sydney Holmes' article in Everyday Decolonization, Living a Decolonizing Queer Politics, in which decolonization is coupled with queer identity and two-spirit identities, two methods of decolonial futures. And this this is impactful for for a decolonial future of collective care as it approaches decolonization by imagining intersectional identities. And And we can see this in the Tiffany King's work on ceremony and the cigarettes, in which it's not just indigenous violence, but an entanglement of all multi of all multiplicities, and that includes a black diaspora, and also two spirit and queer identities within this conversation. And we and this is important because when we acknowledge the multiplicities within indigenous communities, we're not only able to address and imagine healing, but also encapsulate multiplicities within the community. Because it's not just indigenous communities, we have to provide a nuanced reflection onto who's being affected and who's being affected the most, because it is Indigenous women, Indigenous children, and Indigenous queer and two-spirit identities that are impacted as well. Because when we, because when we view issues to Indigenous violence and approach decol- and decolonial and otherwise futures as in a monolithic sense, healing by extension is monolithic and not collective. So part of this intersectional framework of collective care and understanding of different multiplicities within the indigenous communities, we subvert colonial ways of knowledge. In doing so, incorporating queer knowledge to subvert colonial histories and ways of being. And through that, we reimagine the futurity of land and communities, not through a system of colonial power, but one that aims for a deeper, but one that aims for deeper relationships based on kinship and care. And this is noted in, again, in Tiffany King's work within the Sycorax, and where the Sycorax can be used as a very important modem of queering, but queering uh, normative knowledges, but also providing that intersectional framework of care, because what it does is the wires and the entanglement in the Sycorax encompasses not just indigenous violence, but all types of colonial violence on indigenous communities, indigenous women, queer, two-spirit communities, and also on uh, black communities within the North, within, within uh, a colonial sense as well, especially when you think about Black diaspora.
about the ceremony, a ceremony for Sycorax by Tiffany King, in which the Sycorax has the ability to elicit ceremonial relations beyond traditional boundaries. Because ceremony, both as a way of healing, but also in the hegemonic sense, has been the dismantlement of kinship and the assertion of heterosexual relationships. As a result, here in queer futurity and that intersectional framework, Tiffany King's work is both a impactful and profound way of learning about queer futurity and queering and materializing queer futurity, but also a powerful way of employing a new fulcrum into this work. Because in, and as asserted in Tiffany King's work, where it states that indigenous genocide and slavery, and ultimately the abolition of both, while distinct and particular types of fabrics, when threaded through and around conquest, stitch a textile whose patterns do not have edges. As a result, this further develops the offerings and our ways of thinking within this podcast, because when we think about decolonial futures, we often think about it in this decolonial futures and ceremony, as iterated in Tiffany King's work, we often think about it in this like bounded temporal sense. Whereas ceremonies have carried the ability for radical potential and transformation. However, when we think about ceremony bounded in those temporal senses, where we think about heterosexual desire and normalizing heterosexual binaries, we limit our understandings of what cere- how ceremony can be used as a collective metaphor and processes. And this is further iterated in Tiffany King's work when stated, ceremony is also important, collective metaphor processes and repertoire of black indigenous flesh seeking to rearrange life. Winter's notion and practice of ceremony spans more than 30 years across her immense body of work. And Winter's notions of ceremony emerged during a moment in which she felt that she was crossing a frontier. Likewise, through this podcast, I offer that we not only imagine Indigenous violences through a bounded temporal sense, but we witness and we, and we go back into memory and we think about how ceremony and our ways of being have been rearranged through that colonial structure because by querying by examining decolonial futures in that intersectional lens through a queer futurity and also examining king's work on ceremony we can see that ceremony and a queer futurity by querying those normative knowledges has powerful potential likewise with the ceremony for sycorax think about temporality and this idea of ceremony and queering futurity, it not only helps us provide an intersectional framework, but it also is more profound. And this is reiterated in Tiffany King's work in a ceremony for in a ceremony for Sycorax, where they state that understanding and naming the ceremonies that institute violence help us determine how we name ourselves and our roles in the violence. And this is integral, as we mentioned in the last two episodes, where it's not only where this idea of where providing this intersectional framework and understanding indigenous violence and colonial colonialism through this entangled lens helps us not only understand a more nuanced way of decolonial futures, but it also helps us understand our own roles in that violence, whether or not we are, um, whether or not we are non-natives on this land, but like when we think about our own positionality, even though, say I'm, say as myself, I'm gonna mention, 
even though I am a queer South Asian individual, I still reside on this land and I still benefit from those violences. And this is how it's so integral because when we think about ceremony and that idea of collectivity, ceremony in that hegemonic sense is the continual disruption of the, of the formation of structural oppression. And that's what queering ceremony and queering those normative ways of being can be so profound because we not only assert a different narrative, but we reclaim a narrative and showcase that, no, normative ways of being and those colonial structures are not the only ways in which we can forge kinships and forge those healing relations. Think about those relationships around kinship and providing transparency through a queer futurity on ceremony within that within Tiffany King's um, context of, a, of the Sycorax, we also enable ourselves not only to imagine decolonial futures through a transparent and accountable lens for those colonial structures, but do so through transparency and truth, but a nuanced transparency and truth, where we examine not only indigenous violences, but also the violences on uh, black bodies within North America. Because as it noted in Tiffany King's work, Indigenous and Black women's bodies make the Americas, North America, and Canada possible. The violent rupture that created the time, space, and people of the Caribbean also created the, Ameri the Americas, including Canada. And that is so, that is so not only profound, but so it's a part of truth and a part of a type of truth that's nuanced. Because oftentimes when we isolate each violence, we, I, we don't, we limit ourselves in understanding the nuances within not only violences, but also the deep colonial histories that have enabled those violences. Because oftentimes, when we think about colon uh, colonial violences within North America, especially Canada, we often obfuscate those intersectional relationships of Black diaspora and Indigenous communities. And this is really integral because when we think about the Sycorax, the Sycorax is not only an entanglement of multiplicities, but it's an entanglement of a nuanced truth that sheds light on not only that, on violences that are not isolated, but, but predicated on colonial histories, on the oppression of indigenous communities, but also on the oppression of a Black diaspora and Black communities within Canada as well. And, and now that we go into viewing queer futurity and what queering normative ways of being can look like, I also want us to listen to uh, an interview that Billy Ray Balcourt did on the social um, talk show uh, on social CTV, where, he dis where Billy Ray Balcourt discusses what it's like to navigate the world as a queer indigenous man, but also sheds light on this idea of queer futurity and what queering not only ways of being, but also even knowledges and language can do. Because oftentimes when we think about indigenous communities and indigenous um, queer and also indigenous women, often the optics of language are equally detrimental. And this is how Queering those languages can be so imperative, but also profound in healing because it reclaims and 
re- reasserts a more powerful but also nuanced way of understanding that's not embedded in those colonial histories of power, but done so through the voices of Indigenous communities. And in this interview, which I'll play right now, we'll see how queering those forms of knowledges and queering to Indigenous futurity and decolonial and otherwise futures can be so powerful because it not only reclaims a narrative, but also reasserts and reframes the optics of language, but done so through the voices of Indigenous communities. And we can see this operationalized not only in the optics of language in the interview, but also when Billy Ray Belcourt discusses things like toxic masculinity and how queering those, even those types of ways of being can be so powerful. Our next guest has been the youngest ever winner of the Griffin Poetry Prize. What is that? Yeah, only the biggest and most important poetry prize in this country. Well, he has written now a deeply personal memoir entitled A History of My Brief Body, and it explores what it is like to navigate a broken world as a young queer indigenous man. Please welcome to the show, we're so excited to have him, Billy Ray Belcourt. Welcome, Billy Ray. Thank you so much, thanks for having me. Well, Billy Ray, I wanna start off with language because we all know how important it is. Throughout your book, you used NDN as opposed to indigenous. Can you maybe explain to our viewers what that means and just its significance? So it's used in two ways. Firstly, as internet shorthand, so a way for Indigenous peoples to refer to themselves and one another in a way that doesn't use the dominant languages that we've inherited, for better or worse. So for many decades, we were known primarily by way of how others spoke about us. And so to me, this seems to be a small form of rebellion. And secondly, I've seen it used as an acronym to mean not dead native. And this, Hmm. though jarring, perhaps holds on to a kind of defiant ethos that I wanted to hold on to as well. The refusal that is to succumb to colonial violence. You know, also in this book, you do talk about the ideals around masculinity and as it relates to indigenous men, how, when you speak about indigenous, uh, indigenous men and their relationship with masculinity, does that reveal itself in your culture? And how has that been since challenged? So there are many forms of masculinity that have been imported from elsewhere by way of colonization, primarily from Europe. And I think that part of the work of activists today, indigenous activists, anti-colonial activists, is to do away with these more insidious, crueler forms of masculinity, ones that have to do with property, with possessorship, with domination, in the na- and instead, you know, revitalize the older forms of masculinity, the ones that begin from indigenous philosophies of relating that have care and flourishing at their core. Sort of along the same lines, you take a different uh, approach when you talk about your dating experiences in your book, and in particular, your experience with dating apps. And you know, you write about how you were using them, perhaps it was a help while you were living in Alberta in particular, but um, you also write that there are a lot of racial issues um, mm-hmm. wrapped up in these apps um, for queer men in particular. Can you expand on that a little bit? There are many who use 
racialized language, who lists racial preferences and the like on these apps and having to be confronted by, you know, the larger history of racism and colonialism in the country manifesting in these apps. And so a lot of the book charts my early encounters with men who fetishized me or who attempted to uh, behave as though colorblind and, you know, feeling in my body, you know, this deep desire for something more uh, resonant with, with freedom, with, you know, decolonial love and um, seeing it as my job now to document part of these, you know, darker facets of the queer world. And another So, yeah, really, really insightful interview and conversations around the optics of language. And we're going to uh, unpack some of the things that uh, Billy Ray Belcourt just stated in that interview. So part of this is that... Um, histories of body and memory and part of what Billy Ray Belcourt is doing is unraveling is unraveling memory but doing so in a way that memory is unraveled to illuminate the existing structures and issues that are still present in colonialism and part of this idea of optics of language that was really impactful and powerful in relation to our conversations around queer futurity is that when using the abbreviation NDN to state non-dead native, it's this idea of refusal and how even simply in reasserting those languages of instead of indigenous using this language, which I'm only stating as a way of as a way of um, providing context, is that it doesn't use dominant narratives, and what it does is it sheds light on not, not only how others have spoken about indigenous communities, but how uh, indigenous, even the language and the optics of language can be used in a way of refusal. And queering those optics of language as well can be so powerful. And now when we, and now also when Billy Ray Belcourt talks about masculinity, that was really powerful also in relation to our conversations because when Billy Ray Belcourt states that many forms are forms of this masculinity are imported by way of colonization, what this does is it helps us understand how queering knowledge is even within the queer community through that idea of masculinity has so many fragments because even within the queer community, there is so many fragments. And this is why it's important not only in relation to that idea of refusal and solidarity, as mentioned in Harsha Walia's article, that we have to understand and deeply listen to the experiences of not just indigenous communities, but understand the multiplicities within those communities. Because the, as Billy Ray Belker noted that even in the queer community, he's had very specific and very, and a multitude of experiences, not just by being uh, indigenous, but being queer and indigenous in those relations. And how even the structures of colonialism manifesting into those apps and ways of technology is so profound because I didn't, you don't even, a lot of times we don't even think about those ideas of structures of colonialism manifesting in those apps that deeply. But when we think about it, even those dating apps where people put preference, preferences, which is a whole other conversation, but even those dating apps 
can be so detrimental to our conversations around healing. So as part of this refusal, and listening to the optics of language as mentioned in the interview, and also Billy Ray Belcourt's article on, on the optics of language, it's not only, I want this podcast to be not only a space of healing, but a space in which we we refuse those structures of colonialism and refuse those structures from permeating into this form of technological cyberspace. And we refuse those forms of colonialism and structures from permeating even into this podcast and opening up this way of conversation of healing by understanding not only the multiplicities of indigenous communities as a way of healing, but understanding the many multiplicities and understanding how queer futurity can be so impactful. And while I leave while I leave everyone to think about queering futurity in the idea of ceremony, as mentioned by Tiffany King in the idea of the Sycorax, or even in Sarah Hunt and Cindy Holmes' article on, decolon- on decolonializing queer futurities, and Billy Ray Belcourt's article on the optics of language. What I want everyone to leave with is that queering, queering futurities and the entanglement of our relations is so entangled, but how we understand and how we implement and understand and deeply listen to those multitude of relations is equally imperative. So while this podcast is a way of opening up space for generative thinking and co-constitutive discussions, I want this place to be also a refusal of those very colonial structures manifesting into these apps and manifesting into itself into technological spaces of cyber space.